0: Well, hey, everybody. Welcome to another episode of Master the NEC, where we talk about the National Electrical Code and, of course, all things electrically related. My name is Paul Abernathy, your host, and I want to congratulate you. You made it all the way to Part 5 of this Article 695 Fire Pumps episode. Now, we covered a lot of information, and again, before you dig into Part 5 here, I really want to make sure that you went back and listened to part one, two, three, and 4 because we built on every subsequent part as we learned all the little nuances uh, and kind of gave you an overview of how to apply fire pumps, things to consider. Again, it's not an all-inclusive uh, tutorial, but it gives you some really good information to build your knowledge of fire pumps, at least, hopefully, give you a little better understanding of how to apply Article 695 and what applies and what does not apply. And it also kind of shows you how other articles within the code work together with 695. So again, want to make sure you go back and uh, listen to those other parts, part one, two, three, and four, before you really dig into part five. Otherwise, you might be lost. Uh, also, I want to thank everybody for listening to these podcasts over on the available podcast listening platforms like Spre- uh, Spreaker, Spotify iTunes, uh, iPod Radio, I uh, guess, what is it? Uh, iHeart Radio. Um, so many different platforms that you can listen to our podcasts on. But also remember, you can listen over on our YouTube channel as well, because what we'll do is we'll let you know in the thumbnail whether it's a podcast or a video. Now, we just started doing this about a month ago, and we found that it really does clarify for people so that they know going in there, whether it's a podcast or it's actually one of our videos. Now, remember, we have literally hundreds of podcasts and videos that are shared over on our YouTube channel, as well as, again, hundreds of our podcasts that are on all those other platforms. But you can also listen to our podcasts on our website directly by going to masterthenec.com and clicking on the podcast button. You can hear all the episodes there as well, and it plays on any standard browser or even on your cell phone or tablet. So, again, you don't need anything special. But if you do want to download an app and you download the YouTube app, then you can listen to our video, uh, our podcast and watch our videos from your device as well. But that's over at youtube.com forward slash master the NEC. All right, so today we're going to get into part five. We'll try to finish up this thing. Hopefully we can on Article 695 for fire pumps. Uh, but before we do that, uh, as always, we need to thank our sponsor. And the sponsor of this series of Article 695 and fire pumps is Electrician Pride. And so we're going to run that commercial and we're going to jump right into 695.7 Voltage Drop and kind of give a good explanation of it and move on through the rest of Article 695. Today's show is sponsored by electricianpride.com, your one-stop shop for electrician-specific t-shirts, hoodies, phone cases, mugs, die-cut stickers, leggings, and so much more. Featuring unique designs for electricians. Journeyman and master electricians, as well as electrical engineers and electrical inspectors. For more information on all the products that are available, visit us at www.electricianpride.com today. All right. So again, you want to get some neat-looking Tesla stickers, or you want to get a coffee mug that says Master Electrician on it, or journeyman electrician, or electrical inspector. You want to show your pride off then check out electricianpride.com. you'd be surprised at all the great things we have there to offer. All right, so let's jump into this. We're at 695.7. Now you're thinking, man, is this is only you know, we're only dot seven here, section seven. how in the world did it ever make it to five parts? Well one because everybody knows I'm long-winded. but two, there's really not that many parts uh, or any uh, I should say parts. there's not that many sections in 695 to deal with it's not very big um, but there's a lot of information in there but it's not dramatically big so let's go and start now you probably heard me talk about voltage drop a lot and you heard me talk about it in part four of this series where i talked about you know how we do five percent for the branch and feeder if we're doing voltage drop we're a recommendation in the code well in this case voltage drop is a requirement And the requirements have to do with voltage drop dealing with the starting and the running application of an actual fire pump. So let's kind of look at the rules here and see what it's talking about. Now, first things first in how we, we differ is that you're going to see that when I say starting and running here, as opposed to our reference earlier, For voltage drop, when we were talking about for for the fire pump motor only, and it directly made a reference to 695.7 for that reference, Um, here we're getting into the rule for voltage drop, and it's a little broader. So let's kind of look at it and see what it is. Now, 695.7 voltage drop A, which is starting. Now, we have to make sure we have adequate voltage there that is sufficient for this motor to start. So here's what it says. It says the voltage at the fire pump controller line terminals shall not drop more than 15% below the normal and controller rate of voltage under motor starting conditions. So we're taking a reading or our controller is going to have an actual setting on it that at the actual controller line terminals, when that motor fire pump starts, that it is not going to have a drop in voltage more than 15% from what would be considered the normal um, controller-rated voltage under the motor starting condition, all right? Now, there's an exception to this rule. It says this limitation shall not apply for emergency-run mechanical starting, all right? So this is, again, for normal uh, applications, normal, and again, um, this is all going to be monitored by the controller, by the way, But you need to make sure that when you're designing this and you know your loads, that you're not going to have a situation where you drop more than 15%. Now, that is huge compared to what we're familiar with with the recommendations in the code, which is 3% on a branch or 2% on the feeder, or 3% on the feeder, 2% on the branch, so that the overall doesn't exceed 5%. Here it's stating, look, in that starting voltage and the voltage at that pump controller... We're going to make that measurement at those line terminals, and when we start that motor under, under motor starting conditions, I do not expect to see a drop of more than 15%, okay, below the normal controller rated voltage, Right, So that's something we're looking for. And then B says this. The voltage at the load terminals, remember we just talked about the line. Now we're talking about the voltage at the load terminals of the fire pump controller shall not drop more than 5% below the voltage rating of the motor connected to those terminals when the motor is operating at 115% of the full load current rating of the motor. Okay. So that's a lot of information about voltage drop. We'll try to decipher A and B for you a little bit. All right. So now, I'm gonna say this up front, and I should have probably said this in the very beginning when we look at Article 695. I am not an expert on fire pumps. I know the National Electrical Code and I convey it, but there are people out there that this is this is all they do. Okay? There is engineers that do nothing but design these systems and they are the definitive experts. We are individuals that are sharing information, but they are the experts. Well what we try to do here is not try to be the expert on everything. What we want to do is convey the message so that you have a a little better understanding of how the NEC applies. And of course, designing the system is is really different. So in explaining the voltage drop, again, the two different aspects of running and starting. The first one, again, the 15% below the normal controller voltage rating, that is a measurement that's taken from the controller line as terminals. Whereas the running... Is taken from the voltage from the load terminals of the fire pump controller. And at that point, the one that's taken at the starting is you want to make sure that voltage doesn't drop more than 15%. On the running side of this, which deals with once the motors are running, obviously on the running side, we don't want it to drop more than 5% below the voltage rating of the motor that's actually connected to those terminals. Now, this is when the motor is being run at 115%. Okay, of the full load current rating of that motor. So we want to make sure that it doesn't drop five. Now, the real reason why we don't want voltage drop when it comes to um, uh, fire pumps, well, the starting part of it is we want to make sure that first that we have enough voltage there right, for the starting part because it's going to ramp up. So, again, we're ensuring that it's not going to drop more than 15%. Now, on the running aspect of it, after you get past the starting, things tend to wind down to the running. But the real issue that we face with fire pumps is that there's, the reason it has this statement in there about it's not to apply to mechanical started, okay, it's, it doesn't apply to the, the mechanical limitations is because, I'm going to be honest with you, what we're really concerned about is whether or not these co- motor contactors are going kick to kick in, okay, these magnetic contactors. If the voltage gets to a certain point because a voltage drop. That these contactors can't kick in, then the reliability of this system goes to crap. You with me? So that's why there's an exception for the starting. Because again, if it's emergency run mechanically started, then we don't really have to worry about these contactors. Uh, but you run that issue. Now, again, when it's running, we want to. We're following that same concept of not dropping down more than 5% below the voltage rating of the motor connected to the terminals, again, where that motor is operated at 115% of the full load current, okay? So, these are rules that you you have to follow when you're designing the system for the fire pump, and and hopefully people that that do this know this. These are measurements that you would take. Now, again, we're worried more about making sure that we're not going to drop more than 15% of the controller's rated voltage at the controller, and that is on the line terminals. The load side of those terminals from the fire pump controller, again, we just want to make sure it does not drop more than 5% below the motor's connected FLC that is operating at 115%. Okay, So that's kind of what we're doing. And that's pretty black and white in the actual NEC, but we just want to make sure that we, we cover that. And, and everybody's aware that you these voltage drop requirements are a requirement. They're not optional at this point. So easiest way to think about it as an electrician. Make sure that when I measure then we take a reading. Uh, and again, the controller is usually going to have an alarm for this. Um, on the controller's line side, make sure the voltage drop doesn't exceed 15%. On the load side, under running conditions, where the motor is being run at 115% of its FLC rating uh, for this test, uh, they're going to make sure that this takes place, and we just have to make sure the voltage doesn't drop more than 5% under this condition, 115% of the full load current of the motor, which is the fire pump. Um, those two conditions have to be met in order to be compliant. All right? Next is 695.10, which is listed equipment. It says diesel engine, uh, incidentally, we've been talking about electric powered, but here you go. Diesel engine fire pump controllers, electric fire pump controllers, electric motors, fire pump power transfer switches, uh, foam pump controllers, and limited service controllers shall be listed for fire pump services. And again, that also is just saying overall, it looks like, Everything here has to be listed for use for fire pump service, okay? And again, this isn't new. This is extracted out of NFPA 20, as you can see, the brackets. And it will pull the information directly from that document into the National Electrical Code. Now, it does have something that was added. In the bottom, it says... For fire pump controllers and transfer switches shall not be permitted to be reconditioned. Now, there was a huge, huge, huge discussion during the 2020 cycle that made it all the way to the NITMAMs, where people were arguing what can be conditioned, what can't be conditioned, and the code is very specific on what can be reconditioned and what cannot. So when it comes to fire pump controllers and transfer switches that are rated for fire pump service, they are not permitted to be reconditioned. Okay, They have to be new. They can't be something that's reconditioned. Now, it's important to understand reconditioning because if it's in place and I'm replacing something on it and I'm doing it locally, that doesn't kick it into reconditioned. Typically, reconditioned means I take one that's not working, I send it somewhere, they recondition it, and they bring it back Okay, and put it in service. Not something that's being maintained while you're there. Um, There can be a difference. So I encourage you to go back and look at the definition of reconditioned. Again, this is making a statement. Fire pump controllers and transfer switches cannot be reconditioned, okay? All right, 695.12, equipment location, all right. A, A deals with controllers and transfer switches, okay? We've been talking about them an awful lot, so what does it say? It says electric motor-driven fire pump controllers and power transfer switches shall be located as close as practicable, I always love that word, practicable, to and within sight of the motor that they control. Well, we know the rules for within sight of within 50 feet. Um, I think the effort here is, and again, it's within sight, within 50 feet, so I think you get it as close as you can unless something is in the way that that you can't, and then you get it as close as it can get. All right. Uh, But at any rate, it also states and within sight. And we know that there's an actual definition of within sight. So that's back at article 100. So it's going to be within sight, not more than 50 feet. Um, But again, as close as practical, practicable means that I'm going to get it right next to it. Unless there's something there that won't let me get it right next to it, then I'm going to put it right next to the thing that won't let me put it next to the fire pump. (laughs) You know what I'm saying? That's to me, That's what as close as practicable means, all right? Next is B, which is the engine drive controllers. It says engine drive fire pump controllers shall be located as close as practicable, or ah, you know what? I don't get to say practicable on this one. I get to say just as close as practical. I like that better. Uh, As close as practical to and within sight of the engine that it controls or that they control. Makes sense, same thing, still uh, same concept, okay? Uh, C, storage batteries. It says, storage batteries for the fire pump engine drives uh, shall be supported above the floor, secured against displacement, okay, kind of racked in a bit, I guess, and located where they are not subject to physical damage. That would not be a good day when it comes to these batteries, Uh, putting them where they could be easily damaged but it also goes on to say flooding by with water excessive temperatures and excessive vibrations so if you're going to have you have these storage batteries and you got to really really be careful in how they're you know how you store them how you place them and again I'm going to assume the engineer is going to design this, and I'm sure that the number of batteries, whatever the system might be, is going to be a, a racking system and, and how they'd be connected and things like that. So have to be very careful. I'm also, it goes without saying that you do have, depending on the storage batteries you use and things like that, and the number, you do have rules in the code for storage batteries and, and conditions that have to be considered. And so, again, I encourage you to think about that. Uh, so that's kind of a, a shout-out to my boys and girls over in Article 480 for batteries. If applicable, think about those things. Got rules. Always have to remember, chapters 1 through 4 apply broadly, 5, 6, and 7, modify or supplement. Got to keep those fundamentals, 90.3, arrangement of the code. All right, I'm out of my preaching mode there. So next is D, energized equipment. Remember what we're talking about here. We're, we're fire pumps now. And associate equipment to fire pumps. It says all energized equipment parts shall be located at least 12 inches above the floor level. Mm. So again, usually probably going to be inherent in the design and how it's carried above the floor, where the where the actual controller is and the separation. Usually they have a uh, uh, they're carried up off of a kind of a platform. So that way a lot of times you have raceways that come in the bottom. So anyway, it's just saying that all energized equipment has to be 12 inches above the floor okay sounds like a great exam question by the way it might be uh e protection against pump water it says fire pump controllers and power transfer switches or also again you know could be a combination shall be located or protected so that they are not damaged by water escaping from pumps or pump connections you know, remember when these pumps are going to be under so much pressure, and they're running, and they're just pump, 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 pump. Uh, they could leak, connections could leak, things could happen, spray water everywhere. Well, we have to make sure again that this controller is either protected in a way. Of course, we know how it has to be within sight and, and as close as possible or practicable. Um, but we have to remember that if it's if it is in that location, then in the, in the ratings of it are probably going to be rated for wet location anyway. But, again, these are just things you have to think about. And while some of these things might be redundant to you, it's important that we have them because it gives direction. If without it, then you speculate. And we don't want to speculate any more than we have to. All right. Uh, That's E. So let's move on to F. F says mounting. All fire pump control equipment shall be mounted in a substantial manner on non-combustible supporting structures. Okay, metal, non-combustible, concrete, something like that, but it's got to be non-combustible supporting. The last thing you want is to have control equipment mounted on something that's combustible, and then it ends up burning away and something goes on, and we're trying to keep this fire pump going, but then all of a sudden it, uh, the integrity of its support system or mounting system it gets deteriorated. And I mean, in my mind, I'm thinking also anything that would be, um, I know that we say, you know, non-combustible, but I wouldn't want any integrity of my support to be under question. So typically controllers and things like that have the metal bases and they connect all the way down to the floor. Just things to think about. Uh, And it should be inherent, but a lot of people do some weird things from time to time. So again, it's just making a statement of it. Okay. All right. All right, so that's it when it comes to Lucky Land Casino. Asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, uh-huh, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. This so is 695.12, equipment locations. And now we're going to move into 695.14, the control wiring. All right. So in this case, let's kind of look at it. This is called 695.14 control wiring. Now, this this has to do with the wiring and control that that actually sends the signals and actually tells the pumps to come on and all this kind of this kind of this kind of control circuit features that we're talking about. Now let's kind of look at it here. It says control circuit failures and also I'm going to while we're at it, we'll also probably go back and look at a definition that I kind of skipped over in the beginning when we started in part uh 1. Now the reason is I knew that it was only going to be really germane to our conversation here. With control wiring, so that allows us to be able to jump back. And it's only a couple pages, so we'll, we'll jump back. So let's talk about this control circuit failure under control wiring. A, it says, external control circuits that extend outside of the pump room, the fire pump room, shall be arranged so that failure of any external circuit, whether it's open or through short circuit, you know, those circuits that are controlling that leave the fire pump room, shall not prevent the operation of a fire pump from all other internal or external means. Okay, So breakage, disconnecting, shorting of the wires in these control or loss of power of these control circuits could cause continuous running of the fire pump but shall not prevent the controllers from starting the fire pump due to causes other than these external control circuits. So we have to make sure that the fire pump will still be able to function, all right? And it also goes on to say that, you know what? All control conductors within the fire pump room that are not fault tolerant shall be protected against physical damage, okay? Now, we have no definition of physical damage, but we do know that certain raceways tell us that they can protect against physical damage, like Schedule 80 PVC, uh, EMT, um and rigid, intermediate, and all that kind of stuff. But what we want to kind of look at, let's look at this definition, Uh, uh a little bit of what's called fault-tolerant. Um, And that is back in 695.2. So we can kind of look at it. And it's a definition. So I'm going to read it in its entirety, and you, it'll become a little bit more clear what we're talking about. Again, these are control circuits. It says, fault-tolerant external control circuits. It says, Those control circuits, either entering or leaving the fire pump controller enclosure, uh, which is broken, disconnected, or shorted, will not prevent the controller from starting the fire pump from all other internal or external means, and may cause the controller to start the pump under these conditions, okay? So... That is the definition of what a fault tolerant external control circuit is. I mean, the key, the, you know, this is one of those deals where the key concept is this: uh, I can have that control circuit, and it may cause that pump due to a power loss. Say, say I have a power loss in a control circuit, and it may cause that pump to run continuously after it starts because of a failure. The controller will still be able to initiate the start of that fire pump, the controller itself. It it can't cause the controller to not be able to do its job. So any control conductors in the room also have to be protected. Now, we have to understand about this fire pump motor. The motor must always try to start. So no phase loss relay, no other sensor in the system is permitted to prevent the actuation of the contactor in order to try to start this pump. It can't cause it. So no remote device can be installed that would inhibit the operation of a transfer switch. Okay? All of those type of things. None of that can cause it. The fire pump has to be able the controller has to be able to operate. We can't have the failure of any of this control wiring to potentially stop a fire pump from functioning, okay? Stop the controller from initiating the actual fire pump in a condition where it needs to be done. Again, so all those things are something that we all have to take into consideration. Now, inherently, the controllers have systems built in to uh, monitor this, uh, but again, things that we always have to think about when it comes to uh, fire pumps, and most notably, these uh, control wiring, which takes me in, or takes us, into 695.14B. Now, B says sensor functioning. It says no under voltage, phase loss, frequency sensitive, or other sensor shall be installed that, that automatically or manually prohibit the actuation of the motor contactor. Okay, so there's no sensor that we can put on there that is going to actually keep the contactors from kicking in and allowing that actual fire pump to function. Remember, we're bringing power to the fire pump controller. We're going from the power pump controller to the actual fire pump. Now, the control wiring is going to be making a connection to the actual controller, and you have motor con- you have magnetic contactors in there that pull in. Now, we cannot have any sensing function whether it's detecting under voltage or phase loss or frequency sensitivity, all of that, none of that can prohibit the actuation of the actual motor contactor. It has to be able to still function. So again, all this should inherently be in the con- uh, the controller and, and its function. And again, that's why it's so important for listed fire pump controllers, listed fire pump transfer switches, all those type of things, the listing requirement, okay, is something. Now, there is an exception to this when it comes to phase loss sensor, and here's what it says. It says a phase loss sensor shall be permitted only as a part of a listed fire pump controller. And I'm going to tell you right now, this is basically telling you, don't put any external sensors on this that could have a negative effect on the motor's contactor from kicking in to allow that pump to start. Um, and that's why voltage drop is so important, because we want to have that motor contactor be able to kick in. Well, with phase loss, since it is monitored, you can have a phase loss sensor. It's permitted, but it has to be part of a listed fire pump controller. So again, it's probably going to be anyway part of it. So Uh, next is C. It says remote devices. And again, we kind of alluded to it earlier, but remote devices says no remote devices shall be installed that will prevent automatic operation of the transfer switch. So I can't have anything remote that could potentially circumvent the automatic operation of the transfer switch in the event that we need this fire pump. It has to be able to do it. I can't have any remote device that is going to prevent that, okay? So, again, I think as more designs, I'm not going to put anything into a system that's not part of the system design. It's been thought over. Uh, And, again, not going to add anything additional to this. And this is just making references saying, yes, I'm going to remind you, you're not. You're not going to add anything to that. Uh, Next, D, engine drive control wiring. So it says, all wiring between the controller and the diesel engine shall be stranded. Okay, so here's a wiring that's telling you not to use solid. has to be stranded and sized to continuously carry the charging or control currents as required by the controller manufacturer. Okay, again, we're talking control wiring again here. We're not talking about the power wiring. Uh, We're talking about the control wiring here. And it says that it has to be stranded, it has to be sized, and it has to be all as required by the controller's manufacturers. Now, I'm more than sure they're going to give you guidance on all of this. Now, it goes on to say that such wiring shall be protected against physical damage. We do not have a definition of physical damage, but what we do have is different wiring methods that tell us that it can protect against physical damage, like rigid IMC. E N T, believe it or not, 2020 code, is protects against physical damage. So we have a precedent for that. Okay, and It also goes on to say, controller manufacturer's specifications for distance and wire size shall be followed. Um, I can tell you right now, a lot of the manufacturers, when they tell you this, and they will actually, when it comes to the controller, they will give you information on how far you can run a, a control circuit, Uh, and what sizes you need to have. Don't try to reinvent the wheel here. That information is going to be provided by the manufacturer for this controller. Or, at worst case, you should seek guidance from the manufacturer. Very specific equipment, and I want to make sure I'm following their their guidance on this. They're the ones that know their equipment better than anybody, okay? Next, okay, so that was an engine-driven control wiring. Next, it's e it says electric fire pump control wiring methods. It says all electric motor driven fire pump control wiring shall be in. Okay, here you go. Now remember, we're under 695.14. We, we haven't left control wiring yet. We're just talking about different aspects of control wiring. Again, the control wiring being the wiring that actually can control the function or send signal back and forth or monitor the actual uh, fire pump between the actual controller and its function and this is all called control wiring it says all electric motor driven fire pump control wiring shall be in rigid metal conduit intermediate metal conduit liquidite flexible metal conduit electrical metallic tubing liquidite flexible non-metallic conduit listed type mc cable with an impervious covering or type mi cable so again engine driven control wiring very specific just tells you to protect against physical damage electric fire pump control wiring the electric uh all electric motor driven fire pump control wiring telling you for if that's what you're dealing with that has to be in rigid metal intermediate metal lfmc emt lfnc or listed MC cable with an impervious jacket, which is going to be a PVC jacketed MC. And, of course, you can use the old standby MI cable if you want, okay? Now, since we're still on control wiring, we're going to do the the last one under 695.14, and that is F. F is the generator control wiring methods, okay? So, you know, don't forget about that generator. It says, control conductors installed between the fire pump power transfer switch and the standby generator supplying the fire pump during normal uh, power loss shall be kept entirely independent of all other wiring. Okay, so this is the control wiring, so it has to be kept independent of all other wiring. It says the integrity of the generator remote start circuit shall be monitored for broken, disconnected, or shorted wires. Loss of integrity shall shall start the generators, okay? So it sounds to me that if any of those conditions take place, then it's thinking, uh-oh, something's going on. I need this generator. Um, a fire might have happened. Uh, worst case scenario, let's go on and, and let's throw this generator on, okay? So, again, monitoring for its integrity, all right? So there you go. Um, also, it goes on to say, The control conductors shall be protected to resist potential damage by fire or structural failure. So it's, again, all about how you route these control wires to that generator. Uh, We're routed through a building. The conductors shall be protected from fire for two hours using one of the following methods. Now, we're very familiar with what we're getting ready to say here. So remember what we're talking about now. We're on generator control wiring in order to be able to send that signal to that generator, okay, in order to say, hey, I need you to come on, all right? So in this case, we've got three different options here. First option is one we're very familiar with. We can actually take a cable or raceway that have these generator control wiring and we can actually encase it in two inches of concrete. So we can actually put it in a raceway. Doesn't say what type of raceway, AMT. Schedule 80, maybe even schedule 40, whatever. But I'm going to encase it in two inches of concrete. Or I could use a cable assembly and encase it in concrete because it says cable or raceway. Uh, Number two option is I can use a cable or raceway is a listed fire-resistant cable system under UL2196. Remember, that is a two-hour rated product that gets evaluated under UL2196. If I want to use that, For this generator control wiring method, there you go. You have that option to do that. And the third one is a cable raceway is protected by a listed electrical circuit protective system. And then that falls under UL 1724. I, again, am not going to get into those different standards. If you're saying, well, Paul, I don't know what UL 2196 is, I am not a UL guy. But what I will tell you is that when I look for some type of Fire listed fire resistance cable system, it's going to have on its product detail, it's going to tell me that it complies with UL2196. I'm not going to accept a, 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 a cable or a raceway that does not if I'm going to use this option. And if I want to use something that is a listed electrical circuit protective system, then I'm going to have to go maybe like a thermal barriers or protective shaft or anything like that then I have to make sure that what I'm doing is compliant with UL 1724. I'm not going to guess at this. Okay. Once I establish how I got to run my generator control wiring methods, then I'm going to look at what options I have. Am I going to encase a raceway in concrete? Well, no, maybe not. All right. If that's the case, then I'm going to have to look for a cable or raceway that meets the listed fire resistant cable system rating UL 2196. And so that's what I'm going to look for. Uh, If I want to use a listed electrical circuit protective system, um, okay, then I'm going to look for UL 1724. Those standards will dictate what it has to meet in order to meet those UL standards, okay? All right, so... That's everything in 695.14, all remember this, we've already covered the power sources and feeders. This is all about control wiring. Everything has controls and signaling and, and things like that. And so where you have all this, there are rules that you have to meet for the control wiring as well. And that's what we covered. All right. So you're in the middle of done doing the power. You're in the middle of doing all of the Um, feeder stuff, and you've determined what you need to do to get the power there, well, then you got to realize that you have all of this other potential control wiring that you have to think about, okay? And then lastly is 695.15, and it is surge protection. It says, a listed surge protection device shall be installed in or on the fire pump controller. So it can be in it or it can be on it, okay, doesn't have to be in it, could be beside it, could be a separate unit, but either way, we have to have a listed surge protection device, all right, so contact your, to make sure though, when you contact the manufacturer for surge protection devices, that they know that it has to do with a fire pump system, Um, and so they are aware of that up front, when selecting just surge protection device, okay, so Basically, that is it. Six ninety five in a nutshell. Um, remember now that different areas here are going to make references to NFPA twenty, so it's good to understand NFPA twenty. Um, but also remember, in certain things are going to be also picked up in four thirty from motors. You have to be very aware of that. Um, so again, chapters one through four. Again, ninety point three orientation here arrangement. Chapters one through four apply broadly throughout the NEC. Okay. Five, six, and seven can modify or supplement chapters one through seven. Okay. And you have chapter eight, which is communications. It's standalone. Okay. But it will make references back to chapters one through seven where necessary. And then, of course, you have chapter nine, which is applicable as referenced. And then, of course, you have informative annexes, which are just, you know, great information, by the way. But again, not really enforceable. But there's so much there that can help you from examples to a list of all the standards to it's just um, torquing requirements and things like that. Just really good guidance back there, but it's really just information. Okay. So anyway, hopefully, and oh, and don't forget, a really healthy um, analysis of 695 means that you should also take the time to do a healthy analysis of Article 700 dealing with emergency systems, most notably uh, 700.10D, uh, and of course 700.10B5, which talks about the different types of how you treat it when you're coming off of a generator, and how you treat the the different enclosures or different disconnects uh, separately, and how you route your wiring system to be kind of similar to how you would with an emergency system. Uh, all that good stuff is just, we talk about it But it's really good to just kind of look it over and get a good, healthy understanding of it. And, of course, if you have any additional questions of 695, you're more than happy to comment below in the comment area. Ask your question. I'll do my best to answer it. But hopefully I've given you kind of a a good overview of Article 695 to help you out. Okay, So again, if you want to learn more about Electrical Code Academy and all the courses that we provide, whether it's residential, commercial, industrial, uh, our Great Grounding and Bonding course, um, our Electricity 101, if you want to learn about all of those, then go check out our website at masterthenec.com. Of course, you can go to electricalcodeacademy.com as well. But you can also go to the Electrician's Academy. It's a, another site that we have that has more of a, a certificate of completion type of program. And it has all the residential, commercial, industrial, grounding and bonding and all that. Uh, and even have two-year programs where you get access to everything fully, everything for two full years. You can also check that out at electricalinstructor.com. So you can go there as well. So. That's it for today's episode. I'm glad we could finish this up in five parts. Again, I appreciate you listening and hopefully you got something out of it. Until next time, stay safe. God bless.